Well, good morning, East Bay. How you doing this morning? It's good to see you. You seem awake this morning and uh, ready to engage in our time together. And uh, we are in the middle of a series as a church on how we can be on target. And I, I, I got here this morning and I realized we used to have a target right over there and now it's been replaced by a ladder. But uh, you know what? That's okay. We're going to still roll with it. But um, this morning, um, we're going to be talking about kids. Kids. Don't you just love kids? Don't you just love kids? And so in light of that, actually, I'm wearing my kids ministry t-shirt. These are some new t-shirts that we got for our midweek ministry um, on uh, Wednesday nights for Awana. And by the way, I did want to mention, you know what? We have the greatest kids ministry workers at our church. And uh, yeah, I'm so thankful for them. When we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, we're going to find out what a difference that they made in the lives of so many people and what a difference for the kingdom. And so, uh, and it all stems from the fact that they have a heart for kids. They love kids. And that's why we actually printed it right on the front of our shirts because that's what uh, we wanted to communicate. So, so let's talk about kids. And now I've got to warn you, uh, this might not be what you think it will be because usually when we think of kids in the church, there's a framework of kids ministry that comes to mind. And you start thinking about things like crafts and glue and Bible stories and coloring pages and kids programs for Christmas and sometimes even diapers right? And oh no, we don't want to think about that right now. That's not going to be our focus this morning because we want to talk about something that's so fundamental. It's so essential and it's so relevant to where all of us are at. And we want to talk about that this morning. It doesn't matter. It's just not kids. It's not just parents, um, not just people who work with kids. Um, this morning, we want to look at something relevant to all of us. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you a question. I want you to direct your focus to the screen and ask you if you've ever looked into the face of a child before. It really is something that you should do from time to time because you can learn a lot. There's a lot of life lessons from just looking into the face of a kid. You know, Jesus did this a lot. These are pictures from some of our East Bay kids. Maybe there's some of your kids. But Jesus did this a lot. When he had something vitally important to say, he would put a kid in front of the, the group that he was talking to, and he'd have them look directly into their face. And you know, when you look into the face of a kid, there's a lot that you see, right? You see energy there that you wish you had. Give me some of that energy. I'm just a little bit jealous of some of that energy of kids. And uh, we love kids for the future that lies before them, don't we? We love kids for that reason. We love them because they're so gullible. They're so innocent. And sometimes they are brutally honest. And sometimes it's scary the things that might come out of their mouths, isn't it, at times? And one of the funny things about working with kids is that you never quite know what they're going to say. And I can tell you, kids, ministry workers, every week, kids are saying crazy things every single week. And I, you know, I heard about one kid that was retelling a Bible story, and he said that Joshua led the Hebrews in the battle of Jeritol. 
Kids, ask your grandparents about that one. I heard another kid who said that the greatest miracle in the Bible is when Joshua told his son to stand still, and he actually obeyed him. Or another instance, a Sunday school teacher asked Johnny, do you think Noah did a lot of fishing when he was on the ark? No, Johnny replied, how can you do much fishing with only two worms? Smart kid, a very smart kid. One kid raised his hand in class and told his Awana leader, maybe Cain and Abel wouldn't kill each other so much if they had separate rooms. And this is a true story. All right, one night in Awana, this was a while ago, my wife went to pick up our child, and the Awana leader at Cubbies at that time said, we had a little incident with your son. And uh, right, it was right before our snacks, we prayed. Right after our snacks, we prayed, and your son raised his hand and tattled on the girl next to him and said that she had her eyes closed during the prayer. Some of you are thinking about this, right? So the cubby leader said to them, well, how did you know that she had her eyes open? At that moment, he realized he'd been caught, but without a moment's hesitation, he stood there and he said, God told me. True story. On the screen is one of my favorite verses. It's not our main passage this morning, but this is where we want to start this morning. Beginning of Matthew 18, verse 1. This is Jesus talking. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child. He put them, he called, and calling to him a child, he put in him in the midst of them. And said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives such, one such child in my name receives me. Jesus had an opinion about kids, didn't he? Jesus had an opinion about kids. He wanted there to be a focus on kids for all of us. And so this morning, we want to talk about how that focus can be zeroed in in our own lives and also in the lives of the church. And uh, you can see it there at the top of your notes. The on-target church is kid-focused. The on-target church is kids-focused. You know, not only are we directed as adults to go out and seek more disciples, to seek better disciples, but that same mission applies to the kids. And I have to say, this is one area where it's not okay to not hit the target. Let me say that again. This is one area where it is not okay to not hit the target because there is so much that depends on us as the church and you as parents and you as church members when it comes to the topic of kids and so we might look around us this morning, and we're all ages this morning, but I was wondering if we would think about how many of us are 18 years and younger. And I did a little estimation here, did a little research, and we've got kids down in uh, kids' church, we've got toddlers, we've got uh, kids in all different areas here. We've got our teens in the service with us. And uh, I would estimate we have at least maybe 20% of us would be kids 18 and under. 
20% of us might be eight, 1,800. That's one in five. Who are these kids? Who are these kids? And what kind of world are they growing up in? Who are these kids? And what kind of world are they growing up in? These kids will never know what it's like to take film in to be developed, only to find out that the pictures are blurry. These are kids who will never have to look up a number in the phone book. Phone book, what's that? These kids will never tape a song off the radio, only to have it ruined by the DJ who comes in in the last three seconds of the song. Right? Some of you remember? These kids don't know what it's like to leave home making sure they've got a quarter so they can make a phone call on a payphone. Or if you're a little bit older, maybe a dime. Or if you're really old, a carrier pigeon. Right? Not really, just kidding. But regardless, guys, of how different this group of kids is from the generation that came before him, I've got to tell you, God loves these kids. God loves these kids, and he wants us to make a difference in their lives. And we know that kids, as they make their way through the safe and nurturing environments of a family and a church, and as they move on, there's going to be a great temptation for them to leave the faith that they've been taught. We're being told that as many as half the kids will take this unfortunate path after age 18. Some will come back, but many don't. And what a tragedy it is, well, I think, when a kid forfeits God's plans, forfeits God's purposes for their life, and pursues something less. What a tragedy that is. And you can couple that with this reality of statistics that more than half of people who will ever accept Jesus as their Savior will do so, we're told, before age 12. We're told that by the time a child is nine years old, their basic moral foundation has already been formed in their hearts and minds. So before we want to zero in on kids, I just want to first of all have us hold a mirror up to ourselves as adults. Take a look at our, ourselves as adults and talk about why kids are essential for us. Why are kids essential for us in our spiritual health and growth? And in your notes, it outlines that first reason for you this morning. We're to focus on kids to keep us on mission. We're to focus on kids to keep us, us as adults on mission. Well, how do we do that? We're going to take a look this morning at a passage in the Old Testament. You can turn there together with me, if you would. We're going to look at the book of 2 Kings. We're going to look at chapter 5, and uh, we're going to look at an interesting story that relates to what we're talking about this morning. 2 Kings chapter 5, it was at this point in Israel's history, you would not want to have lived during this time. Days were cruel, days were hard, there was an ongoing warfare between King Ben-Hadad and the king of Syria and Jehoram, the king of Israel. And this is interesting, according to Jewish tradition, by way of the Jewish historian Josephus, during one battle there was a man who took his bow and pulled it back and fired an arrow into the heart of King Ahab king of Israel, and killed him. And after, according to the source, that assassin 
was the man that we are going to read about in the first verse, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. Don't miss this. But he had leprosy. Who was Naaman? He was a warrior. If there was a who's who's list in that day, he would certainly have been on that list. Commander in the Syrian army, a trusted companion of the king himself. But there was one stain on his resume. Naaman was a leper. That dreaded disease where the external signs are so very visible. There's a scaling of the skin results in damage and deformity. And eventually, with no cure, it leads to death. Do yourself a favor this morning. Do not Google leprosy. A person with leprosy in the Bible days would have been shunned by the public because this disease was thought to be contagious. And yet Naaman was highly regarded by the king, so he must have been some guy. He must have been some guy. And so this is Naaman. We're going to follow his story in just a minute, but it was at this time or shortly before the war between Syria and Israel ended with the death of King Ahab, like I mentioned, but the defeat did not mention, did not end. It, it kept going. You see, the defeat kept going because what would happen at this time in, in Syria is they would enter the land of Israel without resistance. So there would be these bands of uh, Syrian soldiers and individuals who had crossed the border into Israel and they would capture anyone that they thought would be of use to them. They were like the, the ancient kind of pirates, right? And so on one occasion, one of these raids, they took a young girl, she was kidnapped, she was brought to Damascus and brought into the home of, of Naaman. And we say, oh yes, what a tragedy that was to have a young girl kidnapped, stolen from her parents. What a tragedy but it was God's plan. God had a plan in all this. We meet this girl in verse 2. It says, Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she, was, and she served Naaman's wife. We meet this girl in the story. She was a slave. She didn't, we don't know how long she'd been captured, but we do know that she was a slave of Naaman's wife. She was an outsider, brought in, didn't share any history, any culture, any heritage with these people, and yet there she was. She was young, but she was also a follower of the one true God. A young girl, a follower of the one true God. And while we don't know much about her life before she was captured, there's one thing that we can gather, and that's that she must have watched the adults in her life very closely. She must have watched the adults in her life because, you see, kids are always watching. In your notes, it says that they're watching everything and everyone. Kids are always watching. And so we need to be on mission because guess what? The kids are watching us. So did you ever stop in the middle of your sentence and realize what I'm about to say might not be good for a kid to hear? Did you ever do that? Or maybe you said something specifically because there was a kid in the room. 
And so, you know, they need to hear this. We know that kids are always watching. They're always listening to everything. And so the question comes to mind, who was this girl watching? And we really don't know. And some have suggested maybe it was her parents. Maybe it was grandparents, a godly aunt or uncle. Maybe it was Elisha, the prophet himself, that she was watching. We don't know. But someone passed along to her a deep and abiding faith. It's a little over a year ago that the students from our church here went down to Brazil on a mission trip, and they went down just before the Olympics had started and a few weeks before. But there was an event leading up to the Olympics that was taking place in Brazil at that time. It was the torch relay leading up to the opening ceremony for the Olympics, something that happens every four years. The torch is lit in, in uh, Greece, and it travels to Athens, and then eventually it makes its way to the host country, and it goes all around the country, tours everywhere, and every, nearly uh, all walks of life are carrying the torch. Over, uh, it went through all 26, I've told, of the, of the capitals, and um, through 300 Brazilian cities. And the whole world watched as that was being carried the torch relay. And that picture is also a picture of something else because there's an event that's happening right now in our churches. It's happening in our homes. It's happening in our community. It involves those who are running and it involves those who are watching. It's just like a torch relay and it's happening right now. The kids are watching you carry the torch. It's not just the parents, it's not just the kids' workers, but if you're walking through those doors on a Sunday morning, the kids are watching you. They're watching an entire generation that precedes them, and they're asking questions, and they're taking it in, and they're, they're making decisions. And if you say, I'm a Christian, suddenly the intensity goes up, and you're really being watched. By kids because they want to know, they want to see. They're watching anything and everything. And do you know what they're deciding? Little Johnny down there in first grade, he's deciding, he's trying to figure out how to run the race. And little Susan there in fifth grade, she's watching her parents, she's watching her pastor, she's watching the adults that come and go from this place. And she is not only trying to figure out how to run the race, but she's trying to decide if she even wants to run. She's trying to figure out if this is all real, if this is genuine, and she's watching the torch being carried by you and by all of us. She's watching us. And in 2 Kings, this girl watched that torch being passed by the adults in her life, and, and then suddenly that torch was put in her hands. And the question was, what was she going to do? And the amazing thing is that she grabbed that torch and she grabbed it tightly and firmly and with all of her strength and with all of her might, she ran as fast as she could. Full speed ahead. Kids, help us keep us on mission because we know they're watching us. They're watching us. But there's another reason for us to focus on kids this morning. This is the one I love because kids show us the kind of heart that we need for God. 
Kids show us the kind of heart that we need from God. Now, this is where we get a little more insight from Naaman. If we keep reading in verse 3, it says, She, it was the servant girl from, from Israel, said to her mistress, If only my master would see the, the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram said. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. This guy must have really liked clothes. Now God's going to do something in the life of Naaman. For some reason, God took pity on one of the enemies of Israel, and he's got something he's going to do, but he's going to do it in a strange way, I've got to tell you, because the road for the cure for Naaman is going to be a road of humility. You know, God, did you know that God has blessed us with the presence of kids to teach us something in life as adults? But all too often we think it's like a one-way street, like we as adults, we're just teaching the kids. It's up to us, right? But if you can't learn a lesson from a kid, that's a sad place to be in life. How sad is it when we as adults fill ourselves up on so much pride that when a child speaks, we might not even hear what they say. Some of the wisest people I know are people who work with kids because they get to hear from the perspective of kids maybe every day if they're a teacher. And maybe you've met someone that maybe they just got old before their time. You know what I'm saying? They, they just kind of lost touch with the generation that came after them. And it's a temptation for all of us to just kind of lose touch with the younger generation. And they grow farther away from us. And if you've ever felt that way, I want you to consider a lady by the name of Agnes. This is Agnes. The story came out a little over a year ago about Agnes. She'd been an elementary School teacher in New Jersey for over 20 years. Get this. She started teaching at age 80. At the time of the story, she was 102 years old, as pictured here. She was the cooking and sewing teacher at Sundance School in North Plainfield, New Jersey. At 102, she does not act her age. And she did admit she does not feel like 102 she said, sometimes I feel like maybe 95. Why does she teach? She said this, it's the children. They are lovable. It's the children. They're lovable. That's having a kid's heart at 102 years old. But the road for the cure for Naaman, it started, started with a suggestion of a child. And what I love here is that Naaman really had no choice. It was humility or death. All pride needed to be set aside because pride keeps us from a lot of good things in life. And Naaman was coming along slowly. He was kicking and screaming. He wasn't quite where he needed to be yet. So, so Naaman made his way to Elisha, the prophet in Israel, as this girl had suggested, he came with his horses, he came with his chariots, he came with his ten changes of clothing, which I don't, still don't understand. It was a big parade of importance that found its way to Elisha's doorstep. And Elisha sends out a messenger 
and tells Naaman, go wash yourself in the Jordan seven times. Now, Naaman was a pretty important person. So what was he thinking? He says, first, a child told me to go do this ridiculous thing. It's probably a prank, he's thinking. Second, I have to go to Israel. It's the enemy of Syria. Third, the prophet Elisha won't even come out and meet me. And fourth, I have to do something so ridiculous. I've got to wash myself in the dirty, muddy Jordan River. What was the lesson? What was the lesson? Humility. It's not about you, Naaman. In verse 11, Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my, les- of my leprosy. Just a side note, a lack of humility leads you to act like a selfish child when people treat you like a child. Because Naaman's being treated like a child. He's acting like a selfish child at this point. And he says, you know, there's rivers back home where I come from. I'm going to go maybe wash in one of those instead. But verse 13, hang with me here. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have gone and done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be clean, be cleansed. The, The instructions were simple. The promise was there for the cure. Just go try it, his servants are telling him, Name, Just go try it. So he went down, verse 14, and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. According to the word of the man of God, if you catch this, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a what? A little child, and he was clean. You see, uh, God didn't just want Naaman to have the flesh of a child. He wanted him to have the heart of a child. That's why he brought them through this road of humility. And then in verse 15, he makes this amazing declaration. Now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. He believed. He believed. And so uh, this morning, I want us to think about about this. The on-target church is kids' focused, and its, its members have a child's heart of humility. If we're ever going to impact the next generation, we're going to have to do it with the faith of a child. We're going to have to do it with the heart of a child. I love what Hudson Taylor said. He was a missionary to China in the 1800s, and God used him greatly to establish the gospel in that country, and he inspired hundreds of missionaries to China, and he said these words, God chose me because I was weak enough. God does not do his great works by large committees. He trains someone to be quiet enough and little enough. And then he uses him. Wow. Isn't that the picture of humility? Isn't that the picture of the heart of a child? So we... We focus on kids to keep us on mission. And then we focus on kids, number two, to keep them on mission. We focus on kids to keep them on mission. 
How many times growing up did you hear someone say to you, you can do that when you get older? If you've heard it once, you've heard it a thousand times. But one thing the servant girl in 2 Kings can teach us is that kids can impact the world now, right? Kids can impact the world now. Seems to me, if I remember right, I heard about a kid that God used with a leather sling and a stone to bring down a giant. Remember that story? I heard about a boy who gave away his lunch of five loaves and two fish, and Jesus used it to feed 5,000 people. Remember that story? I heard about an eight-year-old boy that was king of, of Judah. His name was Josiah. Says he had a heart for God. He tore down the idols in that land. Remember that story. Remember the story of a, a boy named Samuel who heard God speak in the temple. So, why is it that we sell our kids short by telling them, when you get older? Why do we sell them short by telling them that? I remember a few years ago, the Lord taught me an important lesson from my youngest daughter. Um, We've been trying to witness to our neighbor next door from some time. We'd invited him to some of the events here at the church to try to reach him. And uh, he'd come and we'd made some progress, but we never were quite able to bring up the, the spiritual topics because it, it just didn't seem natural at the time. And so we're, we're talking about that one day and, and suddenly it dawned on my, my daughter. She was probably six years old, maybe at the time, seven years old at the oldest, and uh, she suddenly realizes, like it dawned on her, if our neighbor doesn't get the truth, he won't be able to go to heaven someday. And if no one else is going to do it around here, I'm going to go do it myself. So we're like, well, am I going to stand in the way of that as a parent? So I don't know. So we, she, she, she found a track on her own, and we looked at the track, and we said, you know, that sounds, that sounds good. Go, you know, go ahead. And so we kind of sent her out, and we kind of like looked around the corner like, what's going what's gonna to happen? So she marched right up to his back door, and the slider opened. And what we were told is she said, you need to read this because it tells you how you can get to heaven, and I want to make sure that you get to heaven someday. And he gladly accepted. We're all watching behind the curtain, seeing what's going on, and we're thinking, why can't we do that? Why can't we do that? Adults are not the only ones who can, who can share their faith. And the servant girl in 2 Kings, she shared her faith and she demonstrated character, didn't she? I love the character of this girl. She was being held against her will. And yet, she had courage. She was determined not to be overcome with evil, the evil that surrounded her, but she overcame evil with good. Somehow she understood that. She was confident. What kind of confidence would it take to speak those words in verse 3? If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. That's confidence. She was compassionate. You know, in my mind, if I were her, I'd be thinking, Naaman deserves this. 
It serves him right for turning me into a slave, right? I'd be tempted to say, hey, Lord, can you hurry this process of leprosy on just a little faster for Naaman? I mean, let's end this guy right now. That's what I'd be thinking. But she decided to be light, light in a dark place. Think about the impact. Think about the impact. A girl, a young girl, decided to speak to her maid. The maid spoke to her husband. The husband spoke to a king who spoke to another king who spoke to a prophet. And suddenly a man experiences salvation. Kids, kids can impact their world. Salvation came to the life of that man named Naaman. Kids can impact their world now. But there's another great truth that I want us to, to focus on this morning as we think about this. Kids can impact the world later. Kids can impact the world later. And that's good news because their influence can outlast our influence, right? Their influence can, in, can outlast our influence. The influence of the servant girl continued long after she left Israel. The influence of kids can last long after we leave this earth. And that's a good thing because as adults, we're not going to be around forever. And we need to be thinking, who's going to be the next leaders? Who's going to be the next influencers in the church? And it's going to be the kids. It's going to be the teens. And how are we preparing them for that role and that job? And with that in mind, I, I want to mention that our church has designed some ministries here for future and current impact. And our desire is to come alongside parents and help them because we know that they are central to the discipleship process of their kids. We want to come along parents and help come alongside parents, help them to disciple their kids so they can make an eternal difference in the lives of their own kids. And when Parents come together with the church and we, we bring our influence together. I have to tell you, there can be a great impact in the next generation when we come together for that reason. And so I just want to mention a, key, a few key partnership points uh, for these ministries and then we'll be done this morning. But what we do, one of the main things we do Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. is we do our kids Sunday school. That's that's here. It's one of the, uh, the, this, the foundational things that we do to plant the seed of the Bible in the hearts of kids. And in the presence of a teacher who loves them and cares for them, these kids are taught the Bible stories sequentially and chronologically through over a period of two years. And then they go in and start again. And they learn these Bible stories several times through the course of their time there to plant the seed of the gospel each time in an age-appropriate way for where those kids are at. The other thing we do is our, our children's church ministries, the discipleship focus, um, continues by developing a, char a child's heart for God through worship and through developing relationships with other kids. And we, we have the kids have a lot of fun together. We want the kids to discover their gifts and to use their gifts to make a difference, to be an encouragement to other people. One of the things they're preparing for right now is our kids' Christmas production. And we're trying to teach them to use their gifts so they can 
get in the habit of proclaiming Jesus publicly to everyone that will be here. And they're inviting their friends and their teachers from school. And this year what they're doing is they're we're having families partner with kids whose parents might be in jail at this time. They're reaching out to adopt those kids, to get gifts for them, to do what they can to minister to them. All part of what happens during a children's church time that we're doing right here as we speak. And then on Wednesday evenings, our Awana gives us the opportunity to do some things maybe we can't do on Sunday mornings. And this is a huge opportunity for our, our kids to invite their friends and many, many friends come. And the kids are able to be a part of an in-depth um, Bible memorization program through Awana from three years old all the way up to sixth grade. And these kids have a ton of fun. Many unchurched families come and the kids discover, you know what, it's okay to work hard to accomplish something great for personal growth and development as a young Christian. It's not all easy, I know that, but I'm proud of our kids who are involved in that, making a difference. In fact, the other night, I've got to tell you this story. Um, our son, Nate, came in after Awana, and he said, Mom and Dad, I need to see you in the living room. And so my wife and I are thinking, oh no, he's in some sort of trouble again. And there's something I need to tell you to set this up, because a couple weeks before this, he was in tears. He was crying because it was a bad night for memorizing Iwana verses. So I sat down with him, and we worked through it, and we repeated things with him. And I tried to encourage him, and I said, you know, sometimes the things that are most important in life are not usually easy. But this night he called my wife and I in there and we're like preparing for the worst. But suddenly he started to get all giddy. And he started to get all giggly. He started bouncing and he started clapping. And uh, he said, guess what, mom and dad? I said all my Iwana verses. And he said, not only that, I'm ahead of where I need to be. And so we showered him with hugs. We showered him with kisses all over the place. But I've got to tell you this. My wife and I would never have had that consistent or that significant moment. We never would have had that significant moment for our son alone. We needed a church. We needed other adults investing in his life. We needed the energy that comes from a bunch of kids getting together in the name of Jesus to make that happen. A recent study found out that consistent long-term participation in Awana accompanied by spiritual training from parents produced long-lasting results. Over 92% of Awana alumni were still attending church as adults. 98% believed Jesus to be God's son. 93% believed Jesus was the only way to heaven. It's the difference of getting your kid involved and us being involved as the church in kids' ministry to make a difference. Kids not only impact their world now, but they also can impact their world in the future. And that's what we need to prepare them to do. 
All right, the kids are watching. The kids are watching. Do you have kids in your life? Do you have kids in your life? Some of you are like, yeah, I've got too many kids in my life. If you don't, I'd encourage you to find some kids. All of us, all of us, all in for the kids. Just imagine what that could do for the next generation. We've got a special treat for our closing song. We're going to be joined by some kids up on stage that are going to help to lead us in our last song. Remember, these kids are not only impacting their world tomorrow, but they're impacting their world today. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we, we thank you for a story that reminds us about what you can do with a simple child. To change a man, to change the course of a nation. And Lord, we thank you that you're still using kids to accomplish your plans and your purposes and Lord, we look at a child and we realize there's so much there that we have to learn from as adults. That's why your son so often brought kids before us and said, look into the face of a child so you can learn the lives that you need to learn. I pray that we as your people would be receptive to the words that you speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you, kids. They're impacting their world now, aren't they? And some of you were really worried because I didn't fill out that last point on my outline. But it's just a reminder to all of you, and that's that God was once a kid. Now, doesn't that blow your mind? God was once a kid. Doesn't that speak to the value of kids, the importance of kids in God's eyes? So this week, take that thought with you and uh, remember you can influence the life. We all can influence the lives of kids. So thank you, kids, for sharing that song with us and worship team. And we're glad that you've been able to be with us here this morning. We want to thank you for coming. And if you're a guest, we'd especially invite you to come visit us at the Connexus. We've got a gift for you. We'd love to spend some time to talk with you. So thank you so much for coming. God bless you. God loves kids, and so do we. You're dismissed.